you're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad and um, delighted to have the opportunity to start off early in the year with Jampi Kelly. John is back putting some wonderful theatre together and I have to confess I'm curious and I'm anxious to hear about John P. Kelly and Maeve Binchy because I never would put John P. Kelly and Maeve Binchy in the same room and on the same stage. John P. Kelly, welcome first of all. And what are you doing with Maeve Binchy? Well, I'm not doing enough luck because sadly she's passed away as your listeners know for quite not that long ago in 2012 she left us. Is it actually that long? It's hard to believe. Isn't it? Time flies. Isn't it really flying? Anyway, Maeve, uh, I did know her, and uh, I mean, I knew her in my time in RTE. Right. I wouldn't say I knew her terribly well. I'm a, my very good friend Seamus Hosey from RTE, uh, a leashman, um, was uh, one of these people who would be invited to Maeve's famous dinner parties all the time. And he wrote a nice program note for me for the show, but he... Uh, one of the stories about Maeve, he said, uh, Maeve would, was famous for starting the practice and saying, now, I've been told not to repeat this story, so I'll only tell you once. <laughs> 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 and she would have these huge dinner parties of people in our house all the time with her husband, Gordon Snell, who's still with us. No, I mean, uh, what happened here is that... Um, Maeve's work has been adapted and, cha- and, and for television, for film, for, uh, for radio, um, but never in the past for the stage. Right. And uh, this year in Dublin, in two, 2000, last year now, in 2018, in summer, um, the Breed of Cash Productions uh, in the Gaiety did a world premiere of the first adaptation by uh, by Shay Linehan of the play, of the book Minding Frankie for the stage, and it was a large hit. Now I actually was very lucky because two years previous to that, Brida had brought me over to Ireland to direct um, when I went over. It was uh, Driving Miss Daisy. So I knew Brida well, and I asked her what was the possibility. That was when you were on the buses. Uh, that's why I was on the buses. I was, <laughs> sorry, I was famous at last. You were on more buses than you'd ever been on before. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good line. Uh, I told you that. Without even having to pay. But, um, no, but I got a hold of this very lovely piece, which the, the novel, I'm sure many of, of, of your listeners know the novel Mining Frankie, which is from 2010, and uh, the adapter has taken two characters from it, which is the, um, the single father and uh, a social worker who is not particularly into this alcoholic single father been allowed to raise a child but of course what the play has is that I mean and it's, it, it really is about us Irish our ability to mix comedy and tragedy right. from the same script now I may, be, I may be going too far with tragedy because it's not a classic tragedy but um, it's like it's not, misery. it's not misery no but it's not misery no but I mean I'm telling people on the one hand to bring the hankies with you right. and the other hand you're saying you better be ready to laugh yeah. because yeah. Maeve has this wonderful and, and Shay uh, who has adapted this wonderful ability to mix the two of them um, and it is a, a story it's a straightforward story set in Dublin and Galway. You know those two places, don't you? I know them quite well. Yeah, we, and we love one another. You know, I've never forgiven you a lot for 1983. 
1983 and she was hearing what ordinary people were saying and what you always just said there was the tremendous wit that the Irish have and how the Irish can express the most dark part of well, every well, mundanity well I'm sure you're going to give me an example because I can give you an example to that one of the ones I love is that when the recession hit in 2008 and 2009 an old lady was, was heard on the top of a bus saying to a young fellow saying is this your first recession son <laughs> I mean, where would you get it? <laughs> you know? Indeed, uh, and that would have been said absolutely, honestly, and sincerely. Yeah, with, with, it, it's a pathos in a way. It's not. Yeah. It's not really that. It's not being smart. No, not at all. I mean, as a smart line, it wouldn't be a bad smart line. But what makes it a, a, a gem is that the woman was actually expressing sympathy. Is this your first recession? Yeah, <laughs> she's been through many of them. You know? It's like when you do ask for one. I remember and and. I I guess it may have been referred to as a politician that he described another politician as a shiver looking for a spine to run up. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> well, of course, and we're not going to go into it too much here. Is that what I love is the Irish ability to put swear words in the middle of words. No, you know, I, I, well, yeah. Relax, we're not, yeah, we're we're not, not going, going there. We're not going, we're not going there. <laughs> but, uh, it's an ability that I don't think any other race has. I don't think so. No. I don't think so. Yeah. And also to use the swear word as an insult in one word and a compliment yeah. in, the sa in another word in yeah. the same sentence. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. And indeed, uh, uh, I'd recommend for anybody who wants to, uh, without us having to say it, you want to take um, the great. Irish Galway writer Tom Murphy who again another great man who's le left us not so long ago um, he has a play called uh, The White House I think which has an opening line which could only work in an Irish play so now you can all rush out there and have a look at it and see if you can get that opening line <laughs> you have a prize for that one so going back to, to um, the Meb Binchy and had you seen the Dublin production? No, no, I haven't seen it. I didn't. I, ne I didn't hear. Surprisingly enough, it actually has had one production since, um, because as it turns out, the author or adapter is writer in, resi writer in residence in Buffalo, with okay. the Irish classic players in Buffalo. Okay. And within three months, he had managed to do it in November, and uh, it was around then that I heard about it and Breed I, as soon as I heard about it I was on to Breed Cash who I knew produced it over there yeah. and Breed sent me the copy of the, of the script and like it's it's, it's just a lovely story and we're, we're just so lucky to get it so new it's a Canadian premiere okay. it's almost a North American premiere um, mostly with plays that, that I managed to get that are at least three or four years old this thing is very new and I wouldn't be at all surprised that this play has done many places in the world in the future but we're just we're getting it so early and of course I've been out of, go, out of the site for the last couple of years people are asking me where the hell were you uh, I sort of retired I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, you know the feeling you do, Austin. I sort of retired. <laughs> yeah, I sort of retired seven yeah. years ago. I, I, I still find it difficult when, when you know, the tax man or people will say, you throw down occupation, you know, because I used to work for RTE radio and television and 
I'm sort of retired from that, but tell that to the theatre, you know. So anyway, I'm back. Two years later, I'm back, <laughs> and we're going at it. Now, the other perception, and it's a perception, would be that Maeve Binchy was more like a woman's writer. It's actually... Um, it's not difficult to answer that, but to answer it honestly, um, I would say, yes, she was. Right. You know? Um, and, and, and what, what, what can one say to that? There is a term which people don't like, which is chiclet. Yes. Um, and it has been suggested that she wrote chiclet. Is it fair to say that her books appealed more to women than other men? Yes, they did. But there was a universal story. Oh, absolutely a universal story in it. Uh, and that's not to say that I've never read a Maeve, bookie, Maeve Binchy book and enjoyed it. Right. Or the other way around. Of course I have. You don't have to be a woman to enjoy her work. Right. But certainly her work uh, has been known to appeal to women. And indeed what we're hoping in this is that the word will get out to women's book clubs. Right. You know, there are so many book clubs which have a preponderance of women in them who would, who would just love this story. But I can't say it's, it's not. Yeah, it is. But let's be honest, I'm not a woman. By God, it appeals to me. You know, right. and anybody I know who's read it has said, it's, it's moving. It's so moving. And actually, we had a, we did a, not a performance, but um, besides directing the play, I'm, uh, uh, I do a teaching a weekly drama class in the uh, Ottawa School of Theatre in Orleans, and uh, I brought in six of the students in to watch a run-through of the first act yesterday, and I was amazed that one person, a, a man's reaction at the end of it, and talking about the political aspect that may have been she, the fact that uh, I'm not sure he used the word political in the right sense, but that um, this young man who is a, uh, an alcoholic, but who has gotten off a drink to raise his daughter, and the hoops he has to jump through as the social worker and the social system does everything it can to make it impossible for him to raise a child. Mm -hmm. And it was the man who was most affected by that aspect, the man in the audience who was, there was only one man and five women there, mm -hmm. and he was so upset in talking about it. So it's not, to say it's a, it's a woman's story, it's true that she wrote mainly for women, but the subject matter is, is for us all. And yeah. I also had a, again, if I may just go on, our um, public relations uh, lady, Alexandra, uh, who was looking at a rehearsal, and I noticed some tears, and, and she said, my father raised me as a, uh, as a, single, uh, as a single father, right. you know? And he would now be, she was saying, she said, he would be looking at this wide-eyed, at the insight of the writer into the problem's face. It reminds me um, of the movie with Pierce Brosnan. Uh, yes, yes, I know the William. I'm trying to remember the name. And I'm it. trying to remember the name as yeah. well because it, it yeah. was reflective mm. of Ireland as well, and um, where he had to go to court, and it ended up in a change in law because for that very situation to try to be able to mind his own children when the mother had died, and he yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, um, the other thing when you, when you mention that is the difference between theatre, cinema, and the written word is you have to pair back all the props that a movie can put in place or that a writer can create in a book. You have to go back to the raw kernel. That's true, 
but we look at it almost from the opposite is that and I used to say this that one of the strengths of radio drama was but indeed is also to the extent of the stage is that with pairing back we are enabling an audience to create their own property their own images around it right for us now what we're doing is uh, I don't want to say too much about this because uh, uh, as is an ad- adapted, adapted from the book we're very much visually trying to create the sense of the book and everything coming from the book out to us uh, but I don't think I need to say more about that but for us uh, it's about the performer it's about the actor and the audience and it's about the energy and the magic that flows between those two. Right. And a really good play is just, I mean, it's just the, the voice of the actor, the body of the actor, and the voice, and the, just the reaction of an audience. It's that space between, which is where the magic happens. And in many ways, I remember when I went to see the 3D version of Avatar, do you remember that was one of the first 3D versions of big film came out and I was delighted after it because I said that's so wonderful now we in theatre can get down to what we're at right we're yeah. not at that yeah you know perhaps big musical theatre is but for what we are we're the actor and the audience and I have to say I've always maintained and I've probably said this to you before what I really love about theatre is that there's someone up in front of me on stage and their job is as you say to create the imagery in my head and to convey from their script and their behaviour their actions to convey the story well I can go to a cinema and it's all done for me yeah and I wish you'd say, even got a chance to say that to my actors because the important word here in your sentence is the actor creates the images in my head not the actor's head but yeah. in the audience's head yeah. that's where the images are and if you have 200 heads out there you have 200 different images out yeah. there and that's the, that's the joy of it when we get it right, right. Uh, that's what we're doing rehearsing and that's why I'm very comfortable to go to a play on my own, anything, because I have a connection with the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really bored going to a movie on my own. Well, I, I find I go to movies for entertainment. I go for the theatre to be moved. Uh-huh. Now, uh-huh. I may be moved to laughter, but, right. but, but I need to be moved by what we see in theatre. Because in the theatre, I'm part of it. Right. When I pay my money and I'm part of that, I'm not just looking at it, I'm part of it. Indeed, it's only this morning I was talking to one of my actors at this very point is that, you know, uh, the question I asked is, uh, or he asked, I'm not sure what the question is, like, if, I, if an actor performs and there's nobody out there, is it a great performance? And I'm arguing that it's not a performance at all. The performance is something that happens between the actor and the audience. Correct. And I mean, it's the old line of the, the tree falling in the yeah, forest. Yeah. But, you know, with a film, it's still the performance up there on the screen. Correct. In theatre, it's between you and that actor. Yes, yes. And that's the joy of theatre. And that's why, of course, you know, there's only about 4% of the people going to theatre, but I don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're missing. So, John, one of the other things we've talked about before is the challenges that there are to mount something like this and the expense, the cost and all the rest. So you've been able to have a production coming along with two people on stage because again, the bigger the cast, the more expensive it gets. 
um, it makes it more manageable when you can have something that you're able to bring with the small cast. Well, as most of your audience know, I'm producing as well as directing. Right. Um, would I love to do a large cast play? I'd love to do a large cast play. I have directed large cast plays in the, in the past, but I know a long-time friend of mine in Dublin was saying to me last week, John, it's time to revive The Crucible. It's now is the time for the crucible. The crucible is about um, hysteria. It's about what happens. It's about false news. It's about fake news. It's about all of those things. Why is no one doing the crucible? And I said, Tim, one actor gets paid X per week. You need the actor for three weeks rehearsal and three weeks overall. That's six weeks minimum. Multiply that by the 20 actors in the crucible. Plus your production, plus, plus your stage four set, plus plus the rental of your yeah. your yeah. forget it. And yeah. we and we and, and unfortunately that's the case. But and I have to be honest with you again, Austin. Say when I stopped producing about a couple of years back, it was because it's just I'm not a rich man. Yeah, yeah. you know. But I'm the drag and the draw is there, and we go into every production in the. It's a professional production. There is no one working on this production who's not being paid. And to that end, two actors, who have you on, on stage? I have, I have Lawrence Evanchik, who's a lovely, lovely guy, and I have a, a terrific actress. Uh, well, it sounds like Lawrence isn't a good actor, doesn't it? <laughs> He'd kill me for saying that, and I wouldn't mean it anyway. And Vivian Burns. Not uh, two people. Actually, I did have Lawrence in a show I directed one time that somebody would have seen uh, here when, I, when he was in um, I Do Not Like the Dr. Fell. Yes, I, I've seen him on stage yeah. before, yeah. And uh, I, he also, believe I had, I had forgotten, he was in the assistant stage manager for How the Other Half Loves going right, right back. But uh, here's a guy now who's involved, he has his own nightclub. So I know for Dr. Fell I was able to provide you with a little piece of music from Julia Turner. Yeah. So will you be going for um, the Jacob's Dear Frankie? <laughs> no, <laughs> I won't even mention it. Uh, and yes, we're showing both of our age when we both remember that. You know, uh, that's, yeah. I don't think, hopefully, not too many of your, of your audience remember. Oh, well, they won't. They won't know the reference. You won't hear. Dear Frankie. Oh, well, so it was um, uh, it was Frankie Byrne. Frankie Byrne. I'm the Jacobs. The Jacobs program. The Sunday in the was. Yeah, it was the Jacobs program. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was yeah. when you got pregnant by Holton Hands. Listen, <laughs> in, in, in my day, I was lucky if I got a whole hand. You know? So, um, you're opening when? We're opening. Uh, official opening is on Thursday the 17th right. this month. Uh, we will have a preview on the 16th. And we are having a small invited audience on the 15th. If someone is really, uh, uh, you know, come along. But the 17th, and we're only running for about 12 performances okay. the following week. In the Gladstone. Yeah. Okay, online. Yep, and Monday is normally uh, Monday is, is closed. The is closed. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning, Saturday sorry, Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, Sunday afternoon, and there's also a midweek matinee on the twenty third on Wednesday at twelve thirty in the morning. Ideal for this 
Say that again. A midweek matinee on Wednesday the 23rd. I better have that. No, I haven't. The 16 and 7 comes to 23 yeah. in Dublin. And it'll be the 23rd on the, at 12.30 in the morning. That's, that's what it's at 12.30. Mm. Yeah, not in the middle of the night. In no, the, in, so in, the in the afternoon. Yeah. It's funny, in, in Dublin, we would never regard at 12.30 in the afternoon. Because, <laughs> I mean, 12.30 is before lunch. How could it be the afternoon? <laughs> the afternoon <laughs> starts at 2 p.m. So, Gladstone... And it is thedladstone.ca. That's right. And it's 233-4523. Right. And again, that's from the 17th, but a preview night on the 16th. Yep. And running until the 27th. So the Sunday, Saturday night on the 26th. Yeah. And then uh, Monday is the dark night. Yep. And two performances on the Saturdays. Yep. Okay, and uh, do come say hello to me if you can. Yeah, and the nights, like, you know, we particularly um, people would, I always hear when I was doing something, people say, well, people are busy. People are only busy because they haven't put this in their calendar. Don't start me. <laughs> Don't start me. I know, John, we've been there. <laughs> we've been there. Awesome, thank you. Very thank, much. thank you. And we're going to hear a bit of uh, a little extract. Yes, it's just a matter of interest. We're going to have a little extract from where uh, Noel is arguing. Noel is the young, yeah, is the the father of the young child, and arguing his right to raise the child with uh, a social worker. Right. And um, one other thing. Then we said that Gladstone and um, tickets are. Tickets are, uh, well, uh, there are several prices running yeah. from, from senior price, up from 30, 30 to about 36 $37. And, and also group rates available. And group rates would be, you mentioned book clubs. So if a book club came to you with 8 or 10 members in it, it's well, very hard to put a price on someone like that. No, I'm just saying, they should phone or because yeah, contact that's me. Contact I'm you. I'm John P. Kelly at Storm.ca. There you John go. John P. Kelly at Storm.ca. Contact me. And, and so I'm if you have, if if you have a, a and you have a group of people and they're interested in going as a group, be 12.30 on a Wednesday. I, here I am waiting. John P. Let's go here uh, a little extract. Stella says she wants me. To be fair, Stella does keep changing her mind. No, she wants me. Be practical. Where would you live even? I'm getting an apartment. That'll be Frankie's new home. You're a stock control clerk with, I presume, a clerk's salary. And I brought in the payslip you asked for and my driving license and I put in for a promotion at work. Which will take time. And it's not just about money. There's a lot of pressures in rearing a child. Sure, how hard can it be? Everybody does it at some stage. Well, I haven't. And I'm a woman. I think you're forgetting about that. Do you not think a child also needs a mother? I think it does. Of course it does. But I'll read up. I'll watch women and see what they do with their babies. And I'll stick at it till I get it right. I'll do whatever I have to do to become the best mother I can be. It doesn't work like that. Look, Miss Cheerney, with me, Frankie may never be rich. She won't be. But she won't be poor either. Whatever she needs, I'll get it. I'll do without if I have to, but she won't go short. Which is all very honourable. But I don't think you realise what's involved. A baby is for life. You can't give it back. I know. I know that. 